Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Patrick, baby, one thing I really do need, your list, to some really good games, Patrick, baby, hurry down the chimney tonight. This is the last podcast that I'm doing for Waypoint this year. I'm just leaving it all on the field. I'm letting the flag fly. Um, Rob, I didn't even bring a top ten list of games. I um uh, t- number ten. I'd like to talk about Eddie Goldman. Um, nose tackles underappreciated on the defensive line. Um, Look, we sent not- five guys to the Pro Bowl. I think we could have sent more. I think more people, if they're watching this team, they know there's more. Like, there's a lot of people who are going to the Pro Bowl don't deserve to be there. No, and you know, it's Aaron Rodgers tackle- a Pro Bowl quarterback this year? Really? <laughs> He's barely got a leg. Press Callahan, you should be going. Got injured, not being this. Anyway, yeah, yeah, okay. I think we actually killed Cotto. I think he might actually. Oh yeah, uh, was the chimney thing Cotto? <laughs> might have been the chimney thing. Um, God, it's a filthy song. This uh, is and- it, right? This is it. This is the last podcast I got to do. I got to actually write. Last, my, yeah, I got to write my top ten list. I'll probably end up like figuring out some thoughts here in this conversation. But I, I'm, I think I'm like. I gotta do edits on my essay, but like I, I can see the 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 sprint. I, I'm in the final sprint here. I can see the end. Yeah, uh, I'm not exactly sure when this is going up, but we're in the middle of our final week of working uh, waypoint for this year before vacations uh, begin. So this is the this is the very last thing we are recording. I have been recording podcasts probably. <laughs> this is what hour twelve, hour sixteen this week sure. of podcast. Yeah. That's how it feels. Uh, but anyway, so we've been doing these one-on-one conversations uh, this year to sort of work through our personal top 10, sort of our highs and high- highlights of the year. Uh, and I think this is actually going to be the last of these uh, you've heard. So you will have heard uh, Austin and Natalie, uh, Danielle and Cato, and now it's time for uh, me and Patrick to sort of work through our feelings and... Uh, talk about some of the unlikely overlap we have, uh, but then also some of the really novel experiences we've had this year that we really treasure. So, uh, Patrick, let's just dive into this. uh, So, yeah, I I have not had time to actually... So, I gave you 10 games. You gave me 40 games. Um, Yes. (laughs) Look, I love games. That's just something I need to put out there right now. Uh, I really love video games, and it's hard to choose just 10. I think it's an arbitrary bullshit number. That's fair. Um, so, yeah, so mine, I gave I gave you 10 because I haven't had time to actually rank them and figure out where I fall on, like, what is my favorite game of the year. I don't know. Do you want to just pluck pluck one from my top 10, and we'll just we'll just go from there? Yeah, all right. Uh, so let's let's start with Mutant Year Zero, because this is one I just didn't even consider for this year. I was like, yeah. sorry, you came out you came out in December, your tactics yep. game, I can't process you right now. Like, 
I will deal with you. I will talk about you next year. Uh, but this is actually sort of rocketed onto your charts. Yeah, I've now put 14 hours into the game. Um, I'm most of the way through. I believe I'm, I've opened up the, I've heard it's a relatively short game uh, for at least games of this type. Um, and I, if, if that is true, then the map that I have opened, I believe I have like the last couple of areas outside of going to, um, like high level spots that are meant for probably end game play. If you want to get like the very best loot that the game has to offer. Um, yeah, I mean, December often hides like, like one or two games that ends up becoming maybe a game on your 2019 list or a game in January where you go, Ah, like if I'd only had time to really invest in this game, maybe it would have landed here. And so I know the two games I wanted to try before the end of the year was uh, was this um, because honestly, like the there were write ups so glowing about it that very much projected it as, hey, if you like XCOM but like want a little more like character work and story, uh, this this could be for you. And that like really sounded up my alley, and it was like that and Ashen. And basically the way I was going to figure was like, all right, I'm going to give these games 90 minutes each. And then if one grabs me, I'm going to try and rather than try and dip into a million different things, I'm going to try and pick one, go down that lane and see where I land in it. And uh, played 90 minutes of Ashen, liked it well enough. I will go back and I will finish. I will fully play that game throughout the rest of the month and into January. But I played, I mean, I played five minutes of this game and it just utterly captured and charmed me. And the more time I've spent with it, it has just enough depth that I don't get too lost in it. As someone that is, uh, you know, more on the Danielle side of like baby tactics in which I've found games that I've had success with. I've found games that I have enjoyed, um, but I get often intimidated by the scale and depth that a lot of those games uh, require or like that's part of the appeal. Um, This is very much in the Fire Emblem, XCOM uh, sort of mold, and absolutely does have the the, the characters, the world, um, this charm um, that I have has just utterly captivated me. And like even just the way, like even though it's a fairly shortish game, like it's always by by design of that. Um, every couple of hours, like they introduce a new character that has like fundamentally different abilities. That like of course like conveniently times with you know an encounter you may be having like i just had a a a sequence last night where i've occasionally run into robots but um it's usually just a med bot which can revive enemies on the field um but this time i came across uh, i think it's called like metal city which is just like an abandoned android factory and so there are just all of these different robots no human life whatsoever um but you come across uh a character um who has an uh, a weapon that has a, uh, a damage perk that can be attached to it that does a 50-50 chance to disable a robot uh, for three turns. Um, and so suddenly, I I, tr- I didn't realize I had that ability, and so I wasn't using that weapon. Um, so the fight was insurmountable for like a good hour until I realized, okay, like what, what am I not picking up here? Dove into that. All of a sudden, it made it not, not quite a quake walk, but I understood the strategy I was trying to employ by turning them into a sniper. And just, I, I could go on and on about this game, but I just... Even though I haven't finished it, I, I know I'm already in love, and now it's just a matter of, like, where do I slot that? And it's it's been fun to genuinely have a game at the last second, like, so so surprise me um, that I, I, I felt the need to knock Florence. It was the game that was in its place um, in the list, uh, an utterly 
uh, also a charming and touching short story about relationships, um, mm-hmm. um, especially ones in your often in your 20s where you're learning about yourself and uh, having to realize that sometimes relationships are just a moment in time to learn from later. Um, that game got <laughs> fucking booted so that a talking <laughs> porky pig and Donald the Duck could go out and shoot ghouls in the waist. In that campaign, by the way, like, is it, do you have any decisions you're making or is it mostly just like the story unfolds and then you get a mission? It's like Valkyria Chronicles ask really where there's not too many, uh, branch points that you have to face there's not too much customization you can do no it's really limited i mean that's that has been probably part of the reason i've been able to get into it as fast as i've been able to get into it and part of why i latched onto it as hard as it did because there's there isn't a lot to it that's not to say there isn't a lot to it but it's just that like the amount of um just variables that you're playing with at any one time are limited in a way that I found appealing and also allowed me to get into it relatively quickly. Yeah, you're not making story decisions. I mean, the story's fine. I'm actually more interested in the world and characters than I am in the actual story beats. There's not a whole lot to that in this game. Um, But there's enough that make the encounters uh, mean a little bit more. Um, There's enough that I am looking forward to, you know, what what is around the corner rather than just what is the specific you know, tactical setup that's going to force me to rethink, you know, how I'm going to set up my characters. So it's, yeah, I, I, I think you will love it. I think you will also really enjoy it. I would definitely recommend it. Um, but that's the one that, uh, of my list is the one that snuck it, snuck itself the hell on in a way that I, uh, I was not prepared for. Did you have one like that on your list or was, is yours more of a totality of 2019 in general? No, uh, definitely. I had something sort of catch me off guard at the end of the year. Uh, which is a game called Armored Brigade uh, by uh, Vitica Studios. And we talked about it on Three Moves Ahead uh, the, other w- the other week. We had Rod Humble on. Uh, but this is weird because it's, like, it's almost like a really indie war game. And okay. it's experimental and weird in some ways. Like, if you look it up, Patrick, what you're going to see is going to look pretty unparsable it's going to look like some rob zachney bullshit to be Uh quite honest a lot of Uh, menus there's a lot of really crude looking uh hard to hard to understand menus but if you get past that uh the weird thing about armored brigade is it is a wow yeah okay you are you are you were oh yeah Uh uh-huh yeah Yeah, so this comes out like (laughs) in like mid late november uh, and basically, it's a war game where, like, there's no, like, there's there's some set scenarios, but mostly what you're supposed to do in this game is you build your own scenarios and you fight them. And huh. the way they've set that up is so, like, you'll get a map of, like, the Folda Gap, which is where, for years, NATO planners figured that if the Red Army was going to cross into NATO territory in the 80s, they would mm-hmm. do it in the Folda Gap. It, it was just the right terrain for a large-scale uh, armored assault. So there's this map of the entire, like, Fulda region in Germany. And for you to create your scenario, you basically just, like, drag... You, like, click and drag a box around the part of that territory that you want to be your board. And then you say, like, oh, yeah, I want to be uh, a German mechanized uh, battalion defending from, uh, you know, I think, I guess... Uh, a red army uh, armored division would be pretty cool. Let's let's see what that looks like. 
and you generate like an entire skirmish and an entire skirmish out of that. And you can customize it a lot of different ways. You can decide, you can move around like where the objectives are and all this stuff. But it ends up for for one thing, the AI can actually like parse that. Like I'm gonna say that seems like the thing that I'd be worried about the most is like, oh, it's cool that it's a creative tool set, but part of the reason that stuff is, you know, hand curated and structured and scripted in the first place is to make sure that, you know, things go play out a certain way. And so my main worry would be that like, oh, create to your heart's content, but you know, in the actual playing part, it's a little muddled. Yeah, and instead the AI behaves like a really clever opponent and in ways that uh, really catch me off guard but also generate some really dramatic moments because like with a lot of games like this, you play them, you're playing scenarios and they are sort of pre-rolled scenarios. They have a certain dynamic built in, like there's right. kind of a an arc the designer had in mind that this scenario would follow. Every Army Brigade fight it feels like any fucking thing could happen at any moment. You don't know what the AI did. Like, you you picked your side, but all you know is it's a Soviet armored division. But the that mean all that means is the computer was handed like a basket of buy points that it had to allocate in a certain way. Hmm. But it could have still bought anything off those menus. So you fundamentally like you don't know what you're up against. It could be anything. And oh. so every scenario you're sitting there. And, like, you really are, like, the minute, you know, the minute you, a recon unit, like, gets eyes on an old, an old Soviet T-64, which was, like, two generations behind uh, what was cutting edge in the 80s, the minute you realize that you've got your, like, best tanks reacting to an armored attack that is basically going to do nothing, like, they're shitty Soviet tanks, is when you realize, like, oh, I, if the bad Soviet tanks are over here, where are the good ones? I just fucked up. I have been baited out of position because, <laughs> like, all I knew was tanks were coming down this road. Now I have good good intel, and it turns out I might be responding to a diversion. Interesting. Um, Does the game like like set up like? Can you just set up like totally unwinnable scenario? Like, do you get any warning? Like, how does it like? Does it try to funnel you into yes. like, hey, we want to make sure that like this is something that you can enjoy or finish? Like, how does it handle that it puts, aspect? It provides some guardrails. Uh, So, like, you can, like, basically it will tell you for for a given scenario, if the defender has 100% point values, don't worry about the point percentages too much, but the Mm -hmm. defender has 100%, uh, it recommends that for this to be a fun and balanced scenario, the attacker should probably have, like, 130%. So it should be, like, a 1.3 to 1 uh, advantage that the attacker has and it will tell you like if you begin skewing that too far one way or the other it it'll it's kind of like highlighting the degree to which you are (laughs) making this unbalanced right um so it that's the other thing is like i think this would this would suck patrick you're right and this is what i thought would happen i thought there would be a lot of ways you could fuck up and create not fun scenarios that's what usually happens with like dynamic uh, procedural content you provide a lot of like bland garbage right uh, and all that matters is there's an infinite amount of it uh, this game is some of the most tense like white knuckle shit I've done all year dude like huh. to give you a sense of a story and this is what I was like I'm trying to get Austin on this game I'm not sure it's going to take but <laughs> to, to give you a sense of um, like a thing that happens in this game so I have this 
infantry platoon uh, with eight like armed personnel carriers backing them up, but the infant they're all, they're all dug into this forest, uh, watching this road uh, north of this like crucial town, and they're all ranged in a long line, and one squad is like deeper in the forest uh, than the others. The others are sort of closer to the town and the road, and as the Soviet assault begins. Um, the first squads to get line of sight begin opening fire with anti-tank missiles and they just start fucking laying waste to like the leading Soviet units. And I'm like, great, this is awesome. These guys are kicking ass. Um, and the Soviets stop coming. The AI just sort of backs off and I'm like, cool. We drove them off. And then a few artillery rounds start falling on the position, but it's like not too bad. (laughs) Like we're talking Uh like this is all real time. So like the Soviets back off like 60 seconds later, a few artillery shells start falling in and it's not too accurate. Like it takes some light casualties. I'm like, well, that wasn't so bad. They must not really know where I'm at. Turns out that's ranging fire. And those shells were just test shots that the spotters were using to zero in where the main barrage should fall. And so I'm like, cool, I guess I got through that just fine. And a second later, just all hell breaks loose. We're talking like cluster munitions dropping on this woods. The, the woods catch fire. The train is super destructible. Uh, it's just absolute carnage. And everyone basically gets slaughtered. Like the thing I should have done is realize these guys need to get pulled out. They've exposed their position. They're going to get killed. Uh, everyone gets slaughtered except one squad that's deep in the woods. And they realize that like they're completely alone. And they're the only ones left to guard this town that was really critical to hold. I just need them to delay whatever whatever is coming up that road. Um, so all their comrades have basically been wiped out. Here's the other thing, Patrick. There's order delays. There's a chain of command. If their command post was destroyed. They like these guys are still exist on the map. It's not like I can pick up a phone and just call them. Like I was talking <laughs> to their commander. Their commander's gone. Right. So you have a commander unit that you have to ba- I had to basically drive over there and get into within like screaming range of these dudes. Oh wow. To like tell them, "Hey, you need to get your asses out of those woods and take a position in that town cuz I need like somebody defending it." So That's fascinating. Yeah, so it takes like 3 minutes to even get them moving. Uh, even though time is of the essence, it's three minutes before I can get their asses like in gear and get them moving toward this objective. And the minute they break the tree line, they start getting like wasted by these Soviet tanks. They get pinned down. They're getting they're getting slaughtered. I've basically gotten these guys killed. But before that it all happened, I'd called in helicopter support. And that stuff took, like, seven minutes to arrive. These guys are getting, like, shot to shit in this open field near this town. Uh, The last few of them are, like, trying to return some fire. And before they get wiped out, these two helicopters finally, like, swoop onto the battlefield. And, like, within the space of, you know, two minutes of just continuous missile fire, they kill, like, a dozen Soviet tanks and armored personnel carriers. Like, they just show up. It's, it's like the total cavalry moment. These guys, like, streak onto the map. They just open the fuck up. They shoot till their their magazines are dry. They turn around and leave. And that squad and of infantry is, like, they're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like, it's them alone on this, like, plane of, like, burning, like, trucks, armored vehicles, <gasps> tanks. Uh, it's incredible. And shit like that happens all the time. So it's this really dry-looking game. I was saying like, we should like make it clear like it, it, this is uh, a it 
there's not a lot aesthetically going on to this game. It is it is it's extremely dry. Like it's not is a you know top down. You know, it's not grids, you know, it's not hexes, but it's, it's like a surveyor's map that like yes. has icons on it. Yes. Um it looks like a 2D representation like an overhead 2D representation of like how we would visualize maybe making a 3D battlefield map to get a sense of like what the scale yeah. of the world is. That's but- where they stopped. That was their quality bar. <laughs> but like, yeah, what happens in that fucking owns. That's super cool. Right, so back to back strategy games. Yeah, that came out and I was like, shit, this is um sorry, this this means some stuff has to this stuff some stuff has to get bumped. <laughs> uh which I was happy to do. Um any other things that like almost made the list but didn't quite? Um let's see. Uh I think I've since I think I might have cut that list down entirely. I'm looking at my list from the year. Um you know, I thought about uh, I liked Into the Reach a lot, um, yeah. but uh, and I really did like it. It was one of those in like the top fifteen, but um, I didn't fall for it the same way everyone else did, which is no fault of that game's own. It was more just I beat it once and sort of had my had my fill. Um, and uh, I mean, I think, I think it speaks to the different qualities of like Mutant Year Zero that like it makes. Uh, I often need a little more. I enjoy a little more structure for. Like, Into the Breach requires, you need to be interested fundamentally in different unit setups and just the sheer act of repetition and, like, changing yeah. that up through that. And I need, like, more of a hook. Like, if there was, like, oh, there's more story to get if you do another set of units and try and beat the game, I could have seen myself playing it again. But I kind of fell by the wayside because, like, once I've done it once, it's like, oh, okay. Like, I know that's not, I haven't seen all it has to offer, but that's, that was enough for me, whereas with Mutant Zero kind of continues to, to to string me uh, along uh that's the one that's the yeah. one that stands out the the most as like a, as, a, as an almost game so i think for me i was surprised like in the end despite the fact there was so much i did not like about assassin's creed odyssey like i had to admit stuck i ended up really enjoying a lot of my time with that game okay um, and i'm not quite i'm, I'm surprised by that given the way that you and austin talked about it early on was like Man, they sure fucked up in not making an actual sequel to Origins. Well, and uh, I I would stand by that. Like, would that game sure. be better if it was more like Origins in a whole bunch of ways? Probably. But at the same time, it's such a cool, like, dreamy version of... And I mean, like, dreamlike. Not like, mm-hmm. oh, it's dreamy. Uh, although, uh, Cassandra is pretty dreamy. But <laughs> it's more like this really almost dreamlike take on classical Greece that I was sure. really into. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, like, this is Assassin's Creed doing maybe, like, a Hollywood sword and sandals movie of the 60s. That's kind of what it is doing okay. in this game. And I was surprised how much I, I ended up digging that in the end. Uh, and it ended up being an experience I really, really enjoyed. Uh, another game that almost made it out of the li- this list, oddly enough, was a Wailing card tactics game called Nantucket. Sure. Which yeah. is like uh-huh. a sequel to Moby Dick is how it's positioned. Okay. Right. And it was just really good. It's a weird thing. Again, we did a three moves ahead on it. I did not expect to like that game that much. But it has a really cool style. It tells a memorable like Melville-esque story uh, of, of whaling and obsession. Uh, and god damn did they record some good sea shanties. That, like the soundtrack. Oh, of that you know game, that's what I'd heard oh, about. That I heard about. I know nothing about that game 
other than someone on Twitter sharing uh, enthusiasm for some fucking sea shanties in that game. And that they, I believe, put out sea, uh, sea shanties DLC. Like, yeah. just like, yo, you wanted more shanties? We got them. Yeah. Uh, that might be why. I think I might have seen that on Reddit or something. Yeah. Or on Twitter was just like enthusiasm for the shanties. And that's no joke. The shanties were great. Like, legitimately, like, better than uh, Black Flag. Like to be quite honest, uh, that like just better renditions of uh, traditional uh, sailor songs. Uh, I, the other one, and this maybe leads into another game on my list, is uh, uh, I ended up cutting Moss, which was a game that came yeah. out at the beginning of this year, um, in which you control like a little mouse. Um, it's for PlayStation VR. It was at the time, it's on um, all VR platforms now. Um, and just a really uh, delightful and, and fun uh, uh, world that like really took advantage of the fact that you it recognized sort of strategically what you can do with a camera in VR that is beyond just uh, like you are the camera like it, it has fixed perspectives almost like you're looking at a diorama and then you're exploring that diorama and controlling this this little mouse and just you know the, the puzzles were fun like it, I, I had left that experience. Um, reminded why I have have been and continue to be uh, interested in VR, even if I've often not gone out of my way to play a lot of those experiences once some of the, you know, uh, some of the gimmickiness kind of like wore off after the, the first year of all that stuff coming out. And that leads into Astrobot, which is on my list and is going to be exceptionally high on my list because um, I think if this game was made by Nintendo, I think people would be absolutely fucking losing it. Uh, for it. it is you know it's made by Sony maybe one of their uh, one of the, their Japanese studios I don't know what they've worked on in the past but it is just uh, it's a really good platformer it has so much character and life it is it is one that recognizes uh, like Moss that it's not just trying to take oh it's a platformer and then you're in VR which is what some early VR platformers were was just this sense of like, oh, you're controlling a character, and then you can also, like, look under a bridge that they walk over. And it's like Astrobot recognized, like, no, like, the, the, the camera, the, the, the head, you know, that you're, uh, you know, you're present in the world should be a tool. Like, it should be something that is recognized by the game. So that's as little, that's as subtle details as, you know, if you uh, put your head up to a set of flowers, um, it knows that you're looking at them, and they smile at you. Um, it's uh, more physical in which, like, you'll be... Uh, going through a section where the only way for Astrobot to get through is that you need to kind of bash it with your head. And it doesn't overdo that stuff. It doesn't get into gimmick territory. It's more just recognizing that you are there. Um, you are both controlling a character, but the player is also present and, and finding ways to to integrate that. Like the collectibles, of which I, I grabbed like, like 95% of them, because it was delightful to look for them. It understood... Uh, the spots it was hiding in was like rewarding to like peek around the corner or like bash my arm into my desk because like oh maybe it would be in that spot and I, I found myself over and over going out of my way to find all the tiny details tucked away because one of the things that I've always praised Nintendo for is that when they do that extra stuff they always seem to be mindful of doing so in a way that is uh respectful of your time and your curiosity as opposed to just hiding things so that you can checkbox a list. Um, and Astrobot seemed to understand those values really well. Um, and so my, my sort of constant comparisons to Mario don't come from just a place of uh, it's a convenient um, uh, analogy. It's more that like the values that Nintendo instills into their platformers, uh, it is very much feels like a product of that, of a team that recognized 
sort of those gold star standards that, that Nintendo puts into those games and trying to make one of those where VR is a pivotal component. So it's a it's a really, really great game that uh, is super hard to necessarily articulate uh, because so much of VR often feels intangible, or at the very least, when watching a video of it, it just seems so flat in comparison to the sort of lizard braid experience that you have when you actually put on that headset. But um, I, I totally recommend it to folks that uh, have fallen off the VR bandwagon or it's collecting dust. Like, I'm one of those people. But it, it made me a believer again and got me to actually set up a convenient VR spot in my office so that, you know, I can hopefully not miss games like that going forward. Uh, I think on the front of things that, like, it's hard to articulate what makes them special uh, and mm-hmm. things you didn't expect to be, like, so affecting, given that they appear to be, like, just very typical genre uh, stuff at first glance. Uh, for me, for, uh, Forza Horizon 4 ended up being a game. Yeah, you fucking loved of, this game. Yeah, just came out of nowhere. I've never gotten into the Horizon games, so there's there's an element here of, for whatever reason, this is the first one that, that really clicked with me. I kind of bounced off too. Um, but I think part of it is... So there's, there's really like a couple components to driving games that I think exist in tension with each other. Like, there's a lot of fun to be had with a like serious racing sim, like a project cars type game where you're just completely like in tune with the machine and trying to wring all the performance you can out of it. And it can be really dramatic and like, you know, it can be beautiful to, to play these games, but they can be so absorbing that you're not really given the opportunity to appreciate the beauty of the game. Like after a certain point with project Cars stands out in mind because I viewed that as a beautiful game, but once I started playing it, I noticed the beauty less and less and less because I was so focused on the demanding and absorbing tasks it put before you. Mm-hmm. But when I think about like what I enjoy about driving, especially you know I'm taking a long uh, road trip with family or something, uh, a lot of it is just driving across the countryside. And, you know, changing light, changing conditions. Uh, You never know when you're around a bend and just have, like, the most glorious view of the countryside. Uh, You just want to stop your car. Forza Horizon 4 captures all of that. Like, it is fun to drive the cars in this game. It gets that stuff right. But maybe more important to me is it is a car game that is about the joy of being in the world that long trips in the car that driving can can bring about every time you know the weather changes and you see like a storm coming over the hills uh or you know you are racing through the woods uh as you know the the, the shadows off the trees are lengthening every time it does this stuff it is just so evocative of place and nature uh that I found it a really captivating game, uh, despite the fact that everything is wrapped up, almost oppressively so, in this very Forza-esque, like, just make the numbers go up. Everything you do is increasing some bullshit rating, is giving you some sort of space box equivalent. Even though it's doing all of that, uh, all that stuff bounces off me when I'm just so happy to be existing in that world. 
Yeah, that's that's the sense I've gotten from a lot of folks when they've talked about what that game connected with them was was for whatever reason this one specifically the world was evocative and spoke to them in a way that even if they liked the previous ones there was something tangibly different about and I haven't, I haven't played four it's been on my list of like man enough people have talked about that game and it's on Game Pass and I have Game Pass so I might as well check it out and so it's one of those games I'm hoping to dive into over the break but. This one in particular, a lot of people have spoken to that world aspect, um, even if they've had a hard time articulating what exactly this one is, is doing particularly different. But I, I think that's been a consistent theme I've heard from a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend you you do take a moment to, to enjoy that over the break. Uh, speaking of breaks, we're going to take one right now, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute here. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, out of curiosity, uh, because it can be awkward to do things with this on, on a list like this, was there anything from not this year that you really got into this year that uh, that just sort of stands out for you? I, I have one thing that I that I really enjoyed uh, from prior to 2018. This was the year I kind of stumbled across. I I, I had a hankering to play Oxenfree out of nowhere. Sure, and, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, and that turns out to have been one of my favorite like weekends of the year as as a gamer. Uh, I spent an entire day just playing through Oxenfree, and I think I might really like the type of writing intensive game that uh, I think it's Night School uh, is the mm-hmm. dev that I I enjoy their style of game, and I just wanted to shout out here that you know hey I finally played Oxenfree, and damn I think that's actually a pretty special game uh it is a it is really fun to spend time with those characters even if some of them do need to shut the hell up and uh <laughs> i highly i highly recommend it also really enjoyed their mr robot uh mobile game by the way really yeah they made a pretty good one someone recommended it to me after i was got into uh, the second season of mr robot it okay. turns out they made a really good mobile game uh set in the middle of season one of Mr. Robot. It's actually really cool. Highly recommended. Uh, there's uh, a couple on my list. Um, Gorogoa, uh, a, a really terrific uh, uh, puzzle game. They've been in development for all sorts of years in which you're kind of manipulating both the shape, structure uh, of like these really intricate, beautiful paintings and also like tweaking certain values to make sort of these sort of jigsaw puzzle events sort of occur next to each other. This is a, this was a game that was a casualty of last, uh, the, the last December. It came out December yeah. 14th, 2017. Um, and it, it was one of those where I blew through and was like, holy shit, this game blew me away. Um, and I think a lot more people would have been talking about it had it, you know, maybe come out a month or two prior or, or even just a month later. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that from 2017. Um, you know, we did our Fortnite Fortnite uh, this yeah. year that 
that's not one of my favorite games of the year, but it was one of my favorite experiences. And I love that now I can at least articulate what that game is and what it's what's interesting about it. Like we played enough of it where it's like, I get it. Like I 100% understand, even if, you know, I didn't really touch it after the fact, although I did buy one battle pass thinking that I was going to spend more time with it. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I know what that game is. I enjoyed that game. I like that game. I think I liked it more than uh most people on the team did um i just didn't have the time to keep on the treadmill uh, both from a skill perspective and from the you know aesthetic unlocking stuff perspective but i i really did like that game and the the, the other one would be uh, where is it uh, i thought i had a third one maybe not maybe those are the two maybe those are the two i think that's it yeah um in terms of uh, this year, I noticed you and I shared an enthusiasm for, for one particular game. This damn near became my game of the year. Uh, I'm, I think I'm, it, str- I'm struggling. I, I think I'm thinking I, about it. Yeah, like I didn't. I haven't quite finished it. So like, uh, I, like that's where I kind of everything I've seen, I've I've really loved, and I enjoy so much of what this game is doing. Uh, but this was the year I really got into Vampire uh, mm-hmm. or, or Vampire, and I think that game is cool as hell. And I am like the minute I started playing that Red Dead Redemption went out the fucking window. <laughs> like I was like starting to warm up to Red Dead Redemption. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, maybe, you know, maybe you just have to stick with it for like 35, 48 hours and uh, then it'll really pick up. That's what Austin's telling me. You, just, <laughs> you know, you just commit uh, weeks of your life uh, to becoming Arthur Morgan. And uh, if you don't die of old age, uh, that game really takes off. That game, I've seen so many tweets where people have finished it and they'll be like, I love that game, but also thank God it's over. And it's like, that's a weird feeling to have at the end of a, at the end of a video game where you, f- for it's me, not it was, like a pitch for me to get to it. When I started playing Vampire, it just drove home instantaneously for me that I was really playing a lot of Red Dead out of this feeling of obligation of needing yep. to have a reaction to it and to mm-hmm. like see like see something about what it's saying that's worth commenting on. And then I started playing Vampire and I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just gonna this game this game rules. I am like unequivocally loving my time with this and meeting its characters and inhabiting its world. So I'm just gonna do that. And I kind of haven't looked back. It was a game that I remember in the first couple of hours just not not knowing what to make of it it's a confusing confounding game for a lot of reasons um and i and you know but then i just kept i turned it off and then i just couldn't stop thinking about it and eventually i just came to terms with you know if you were to talk about this game in your old school you know game pro like what does it do well what does it do poorly like this game doesn't rate very well right like in like those like quote-unquote, you know, objective uh, graphics gameplay standards. Like, there's a lot of it that is lacking, but it's just so fucking interesting. And it just goes for it in so many different ways. And the parts that it does get right, it gets really right, or at least its ambitions are so fascinating that I just found myself wrapped up in this world, its characters, um, that, I mean, it's, especially for me, rare to say that, like, 25 to 30 hours just goes by but that is absolutely – I just ate this game up in like a week and a half in a way that I just do not do with a lot of video games. 
yeah it's weird like there's all those things you could drag it for a little bit some of the voice acting is uh pretty uneven i think the main characters are done pretty well but you're gonna meet a lot of incidental characters that are kind of you know oi gov (laughs) what you know (laughs) that kind Uh of thing uh the combat is like very uh clumsy souls imitation it's trying yeah it's trying yeah but, but it's, it's an just, rpg especially like it's <laughs> yeah. it's 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 a plot oriented rpg that like the combat designers were like eh, i really like i really like demon souls dark souls let's do you want to make one so you want to make one of those and hey you like bloodborne like, right bloodborne we don't we don't have the budget joe ah yeah <laughs> like and they went for it just anyway. put a dodge roll and, in all right and it's one of those things where, like, I actually found the comic to be, like, fine and or fulfilling enough in the, like, opening, you know, five to ten hours. And then it sort of just grinds on you in the, especially latter half of the game, to a degree that, uh, for a lot of people, I would just tell them to... I don't know if you can switch to story mode halfway through, but if you could, I would just tell them to. Because it's not like it has a progression curve or a skill curve where you're like, man, I'm just really feeling myself on this. It's more just... It just gets harder and more annoying um but it's the the reason it didn't matter was because like the world even 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 like the the a plot like that goes to some interesting places and all the stuff it does with the world like the different neighborhoods that you're trying to you know uh keep tabs on even though it's that a stuff game falls about apart. neighborhoods that's the other yes. part of it is like yeah. it's it's this game of like it's about a city lots of games are set in cities not a lot of games are ab- about the city and like Vampire is a game that is about that city, even if even though the actual terrain, environment, locations are not super memorable. Like I, I constantly found myself going back to areas and be like, I don't know how the fuck to find the thing I mean I mean to find. But it, it did the most important part, which is like the characters and themes of the different neighborhoods came across really well, even if the actual like architecture itself left yeah. a, a lot to be desired. But for the most part, like it's so cool that the game. One of the, I think this is actually kind of inspired. It explicitly makes doing plot stuff and part like puzzling out more stuff about characters core to the experience, right? Like yes. you can't like you could just eat a variety of people. You're a vampire. You could you could do that, <laughs> but like they'll uh-huh. taste better if you know all their secrets. And it's such a goofy mechanic, but I fucking love it. Yeah, because it, it's it ties. It's one of its central mechanics of, like, you're going to – we're not going to let you eat NPCs or, or to eat the just, you know, regular, like, enemies to, to get experience. You're going to have to eat, consume, remove from the world central characters that you've spent hours, maybe a dozen hours with. And even though you know you're going to have to remove some of them from the world, and some of them may not be totally bad, you're just going to have to make a judgment call uh, – because you need to scale up your character to to go along with the difficulty. That's maybe something that gets lost in the story mode, right? Like, it's because, like, one of the, the core tenets of the gameplay is, like, hey, in order to get stronger, you need to make the tough choices on, like, who you're going to take out. But in order to increase the XP that you get from that character, you need to learn more about them. It's just, it's stuff like that that it's like, Mwah. that's just a really smart way, even if it sounds goofy as hell, it works remarkably well to get you invested in the characters. It also feels like every neighborhood is like the set of a play that you're sort of taking part in and watching unfold yes. scene by scene each time you visit. Yeah. Uh, I like, I really enjoy it. You meet, you meet a vampire hunter in this game. And the funny thing is like, he's kind of likable. Like he's a clown, mm-hmm. but 
I just love the way your character kind of interacts with him. Like, yeah, so tell me more about vampires. Like, what do you know? Like, hmm, really fascinating. Have you ever actually, if you were talking to a vampire, like, would you know it? Are you sure you know it? <laughs> it's so good. I love that shit. Yeah, the main character is kind of an asshole. And uh, they let you lean into that in a, in a couple of different ways, depending on how, like, you basically just, he's an asshole. But you get to choose, like, the level of smug throughout. What if Gregory House like, were, were a vampire? <laughs> I mean, honestly, because, like, Gregory House, like, has some level of empathy. And, like, you know, the, the character you play has empathy. And you can choose to express that in a variety of different ways. But at the end of the day, you're, like, you're still, the game goes out of its way to remind you, like, you're playing kind of an unlikable ass um, in a way that I I enjoyed. I liked the fact that you wasn't an anti-hero. You're kind of just playing sort of a rich, entitled asshole who also can see the plight of others. And it's just a matter of, like, how you scale that character based on your different reactions. So, Patrick, I was saying that, like, this came damn close to being my game of the year. Uh, I couldn't quite put it there, mainly because, like, for me, and we did a podcast on this, uh, Battletech kind of had had a lock on that yeah. spot for for the better mm-hmm. part of the year. Uh, it sounds like you were in a similar boat with like vampire rating very very highly, but yeah. maybe there's something else that really is tough to dislodge in your in in your personal top best of list. Yeah, it's it's sort of, sort of between two games. Um, it's between. So I had this. Uh, someone texted me last night. It was like, "Hey, I'm going on some you know Christmas vacationing." Um, I need to download a Switch game, uh, Celeste or, or Dead Cells. Um, and I found myself having, a, like, a hard time picking between the two. Um, and I thought that spoke – Celeste is a game that came out in January. It's a, it's a really terrific platformer that has uh, a, also a really touching story about mental health um, at the center of it and tied explicitly to the gameplay mechanics. Um not so much that it's expressing mental health through gameplay mechanics in so much as, like, the reason you're going on this journey and what's reflected in the level design and the progression is is tied to to the story it's trying to tell. Um, and I actually found myself, as much as I love Dead Cells, it's, it's, it is one of my favorite games of this year, like, I found myself falling on, recommending Celeste, and then in recommending it, you know, realizing how much, I think the Keelys were also a part of this, is, like, reminding me how much I fell for that game and the, and how much more it is than just a good platformer it is like a transcendent great game and so it's it's between like it's kind of between that <sighs> celeste and hollow knight i mean hollow knight's also a game that came out in 2017 it just came out on switch and that's where a lot of people including myself and natalie and austin sort of discovered it but you know, like, if you had to, like, you know, put a gun to my head right now, like, I wouldn't be shocked if where I end up with is Celeste being sort of my favorite game because I found myself listening to the soundtrack again, picking it up, picking up and, like, kind of playing with some of the harder levels that I kind of hit a wall with when I was uh, finishing it up earlier this year. Um, just a really tremendous experience that, uh, you know, calling it a good platformer is a disservice to like the other things that it's accomplishing along the way. Uh, you also like, what were your other uh, top games? Cause I, cause I know there were a couple that, you know, you, you've really gotten into this year. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, I can kind of punt on, on getting into them too much because we've done, there's been crossover with uh, mm. the rest of the staff, you know, monster hunter world uh, is a game that I uh, had no real affinity for the series, um, but also like a, 
with like Fortnite, I academically now understand that game and I like it, but didn't fall in love with it. Um, Monster Hunter World years ago, I academically came to understand like, oh, I, could, I guess I can see what people see in this and why they get obsessed. Yeah. Um, but it didn't click for me. Um, and this was the era of Monster Hunter World. Like, you know, I think a huge amount of our staff fell for that at the same time and was playing together. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, Natalie and, and Austin and I have a, a podcast uh, diving deep into Monster Hunter World and, and why we all fell for that game. Uh, same one with Hollow Knight, also a yeah. <laughs> Austin, Natalie, and Patrick joint. Um, and then and also <laughs> the awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit, which it got rolled into a conversation I had with Kato and Natalie uh, about the first episode of the Life is Strange. Daniel a, a, as well, right? Danielle, uh, or actually, yeah, not Natalie. Danielle, sorry, that's that's my bad. I was on a lot of podcasts with uh, uh, Natalie, but that one was with uh, Kato and Danielle, um, which we talked. That was framed around the first episode of the new season of Life's Strange, which I did like uh, quite a bit. But uh, the Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit, which is uh, you know a short story, like a ninety minutes about um, the relationship between a, a father and son, uh, in which the uh, they have lost, you know, uh, you know, the father has lost his wife. The the son has lost his mother to a tragic accident. Um, the the father has become bad, shitty. He there, you know, are suggestions of abuse. There are suggestions, uh, not suggestions, outright neglect, um, in being a parent. And you know, as someone that you know has has been a father for you know a couple of years now, um, you know, it's not that I. Uh, saw myself in that situation but i found myself so profoundly moved by just the question of like what would it what would you do if your significant other if your whole like foundation of your being was just removed from under you how would you react to that um and i don't know that all of us can confidently say the kind of person we would be if that if if we were put in in that position um so i found myself just deeply moved um by the story i told of of the kid, um, the, the story it told of the father, it doesn't try to redeem him. It's more just um, that situation itself uh, really ended, ended up speaking to me in a way that I uh, was not, <laughs> was not ready for, nor did I expect, but uh, came away being one of those experiences that I, I, I did not soon forget um, even after the, the credits rolled on, on that one. Um, let me look at you. Let me look at your list because yeah. you have, a, you have, are, are these are, is the, is the top of this top list, is the games good, top that are is best. Uh, and it just Top goes is best, all everything the way else until is just, stuff I didn't uh-huh. give a shit about. You, okay, I want to make sure we get to this. I want to make sure we get to Valkyria Chronicles. Because on a previous podcast recorded today, you were like, yo, I need to go in on that game. I, I liked the original. I played like a couple hours of it years ago. Have not gotten to 4 yet, although it's on my Switch and I do want to get to it. But like, why was this one of those games that, you know, still has stuck with you at the end of the year? Uh... That might be hard for you to get. Like, if you didn't, if you kind of bounced off Valkyria Chronicles, you'd. I, I didn't bounce. I just didn't. I really lo- loved the first couple yeah. of hours, and then just shuffled it to the side because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed the couple hours I played. When they, I played it when they re-released it on Steam, um, when they did the PC version. Um, I just haven't had a chance to play more of that and or get to. Four. So, if you want to hear hear us be like fully on our bullshit about Valkyria Chronicles for. Uh, you should listen to the three moves ahead uh, I did with Austin and Heather Alexandra from okay. Taku. Uh But I think the the short version is Valkyria Chronicles 4 does a really good job of giving you the sense of 
a vastly expanded scope for Valkyria Chronicles. Like, if Valkyria Chronicles is largely, oh, you're kind of the Special Forces Adventure Squad. And it's this cutesy, like, everybody there was kind of found themselves caught up. Like, you're, you're a couple small-town kids who took the family tank to war against, <laughs> like, the Soviet-German Empire or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of Valkyria Chronicles 1. Valkyria Chronicles 4 is... You're now kind of part of this massive, ambitious invasion of uh, the like Soviet German uh, Empire, and you're still from like a small, peaceful nation, but you are definitely like on the attack, uh, and you are definitely like invading someone else's like national homeland, and it feels like it. There are so many good moments where you get this sense of this is not happening at this like really small intimate scale. You are part of something much, much larger. Uh, There are just massive, like there's this series of three missions where you are breaching uh, basically the empire's frontier defenses. And it is just an absolute hellscape of like burning tanks, uh, you know, shattered barbed wire trenches, pillboxes. And you have to navigate all that with your squad. And there are more things that make the battlefield bigger uh, than than it's ever been before. Like for for instance, now there's multiple missions where you'll where you will command multiple tanks, where you will have armored vehicles. That their huge advantage is that they can bring entire groups of troopers across in one move, uh, and you deploy them elsewhere. So it encourages a lot more like creativity about ways you can attack the map like this is still fundamentally a game where the scenarios are throwing puzzles at you and you can try different Mm -hmm. solutions but the sense that there's much greater space for like ingenuity is one of the things that really got me on board with valkyria chronicles 4 there's so many missions where i'm like wait i think there's an entirely different way i can conceive of this mission that will turn it on its head and give me a better rating when I finish the mission. And that's just a really cool thing to have. How how much... I mean, I, that game is anime. How, how much did you find yourself falling for any of that stuff? Or was it largely the tactics part and the, the, the setting, the characters are kind of take it or leave it? Okay. Um, I have a weird relationship with anime. Mm-hmm. And we get into this a little bit on that podcast I referenced. Austin gives his greater theory of what anime is, what is anime, and <laughs> and uh, how do we relate to it. I think there is a comfortable form. There is a comfortable formal structure to a lot of anime genres. That even though I roll my eyes and I can find them corny and it can be very paint by numbers and you almost like know the exact beat for beat, like rundown of how a scene is going to play out, how how the arc of a relationship is going to play out. It is still very satisfying to see that pay off. And that can be translated to a lot of different settings like invading a an analog for, uh, you know, the Soviet Union slash Germany. Uh, in the 40s. And so even though this game definitely has some real issues with uh, anime stock characters and some that just seem like 
sort of the cutesy throwaway misogyny you find in a lot of mm-hmm. anime. There's there's one character that that has has a couple bad beats uh, around stuff like that. I am still fundamentally able to let myself be charmed by Valkyria Chronicles four because I like that form, I like that structure, and there's something comfortable and reassuring about you know seeing these kids just learn to trust each other, believe in themselves. And uh, go kill some fascists with, with their friend, the dog, the, the, the squad dog. So, I mean, that's... That's his name? Just the no, dog? No, uh, his name, God... I don't remember the dog's name. Didn't mean that much to you, I guess. He was a, he was a, yeah, probably not. But look, he has a little hat. He has a little hat. He's cute. Don't worry about it. Fair. Dog rules. Um. Okay, so... I got to roll out of here in like a couple yeah. of minutes, but we probably need another 20 or so to like really put a pin well, on this. Your, your um, kids with your mom, right? Yes. So, I mean, basically you're fine, right? Like what's, well, no, she has a, she has, she has an appointment. And so I need to go relieve her of her duties ah. and go get her. Um, Otherwise she'll just leave I, she, Just like here, here <laughs> kid. She, um, she may be – I don't know when she started her nap. Like, she could be sleeping for two, three hours yeah. this afternoon. Um, so I will bring a microphone with me. And so maybe why don't you go break for lunch, and then maybe I can find a spot. For or, we can, or we can or we can wrap. Like, it's 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 really up to you. Uh, we can, I, guess, yeah, I guess we don't have to go. There's only a couple more game, that, like, right? I would hit. Like, I talked about Sea of Thieves on another podcast. Sea of Thieves ended yeah. up being an unlikely uh, rock star of the year. Tetris effect. I think if anything, you guys undersold it on the podcast where you initially talked about it. Like that is yeah, just fair. a sensory delight uh, mm-hmm. that totally fucked me up. Um, it is a very powerful experience. I uh, see. What else did I have? Uh, well, you're going. You're going to be with your daughter. Uh, talk to me about those dad feelings. Talk to me about God of War. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, that was that was a game that I. Uh, I think I wrote about in my review that, like, I had trouble not viewing through the lens of sort of, I mean, Kratos, you know, bad person, bad character, like, arguments can be credibly made for there's no reason to even try and find a way to redeem that character, like, given all the, the scope of storytelling we could do, given the, the budgets and, and that could be assigned to telling new kinds of stories, like, why do we need to find a way to bring Kratos back from the brink? And I think those arguments have a lot of credibility um but i in in i couldn't help but look at that game and constantly think about the relationship with my own father you know who, you know as most people know like passed away you know uh, a number of years ago um to an art att- a heart attack at an early age he was just 56 and had a good relationship with my dad but we never quite graduated from father son to the sort of more unequals that seems to happen no. as uh, kids and parents get older. Like I always looked forward to that happening. Figured like there was an arc to this. Like, well, okay, I got married. I'm gonna buy a house. Uh, you know, I have a kid. Like, my dad will retire. Like, there'll just be more time for those moments to happen. And and uh, you know, I always knew that my dad loved me, but he never said any of that stuff. He showed it through his actions. Um, but um, there was just a lot sort of unsaid that I wished we would have had time for. And I there's so much of of God of War that is about uh, a, a man struggling to be vulnerable to tell his son how he feels about him 
He shows through his actions of gutting dragons and, you know, other all sorts of creatures in, and through violence to to show how he cares and, and wants to find a better path for that person. Um, but I couldn't help but play that game and constantly think about how, okay, that's what I want to avoid with my kid. Like, I don't want that feeling to to go unsaid. I mean, there'll always be things that are unsaid. There'll be always be a, a lack of resolution um, with that sort of thing. But I I don't want that to be one of them. And so, I mean, outside of the way, I think they like successfully reinvented the combat and I liked the world. And I think it was beautiful and the, it was a lot of fun to play. Um, constantly in that game, what landed for me was that specific relationship and and how I just try to think through that in, in my own life. Um, probably distractingly so. I mean, because that game treats its women like real shitty and they're only plot points um, uh, in a way that is, you know, more broadly representative how God of War has treated women. Um, and yet I always found myself coming back to that bit and unable to let it go. Um, and that's most of my, that's most of my, that's yeah. most of my lists. Spider-Man. Dead Cells is really good. Spider-Man was on my list. I just, I didn't, the weird thing is I enjoyed the shit about like being Peter Parker and dealing with his fucking Mm -hmm. dumpster fire of a life though. Also, I got really frustrated with like, man, you are really being a dragon. Everybody around you, dude. Like at a certain point, I was like, Peter, like you need to stop fucking up. Like steal, do some Robin Hood shit and pay your rent, man. Don't like, (laughs) don't go crashing at Mary Jane's. God damn it. That that shitty part of his character is part of what I found appealing. Like it was just a different kind of Peter Parker, um, yeah. while still feeling very much Peter Parker. Um, I mean, uh, that game at the end of the day is the swinging for yeah. me. Like the sensation of getting around that world that was one. I mean, the, that intro, the the intro of that game where he puts on the suit, jumps out of the building, and you're just immediately in it was uh, breathtaking. Yeah. I think about that sequence all the time. I don't know if I've had a game start better. And immediately show you here's what's good about this game. This is the core. I mean, the con- you know the combat's fine, whatever. It's it's you know a faster Arkham Asylum. Um, it it does its job, but like in the first thirty seconds, you get a sense of that character in its apartment and what kind of a slob he is, and then immediately get this incredible yeah. feeling of getting around that city. That in thirty seconds, I was like, oh shit, okay, I'm sold. Um, and that's 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 always the part I, I go back to in that yeah, game. Yeah, I probably just needed slightly fewer open worldy nonsense tasks to deal with, but like I really enjoyed yep. the narrative it was laying out. I wish if it hadn't been so like loosey goosey and so full of like stuff to do, I think I wouldn't have fallen off it as much. Is kind of where mm-hmm. I ended up. Always trying to relearn exactly what the fuck all the control schemes uh, were. I've wanted to go back. I want to go back to the DLC, and that's yeah. the part that I'm like so worried about the most. Is like I just don't know how I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm sure the DLC is like anything else where it's like it's slightly more difficult than the main game because, hey, you spent time here. And it's like, what if I've been gone for four months? <laughs> uh, last thing I'll mention is Northgard uh, is a really great RTS came, that came out this year. It also it, like released some great free free DLC. Uh, we did a three moves ahead on it. Uh, it's something special. It's so different from a lot of other RTSs that like if you immediately hear RTS and think like that's not my shit, Northgard doesn't really map to any – to any of those it's completely its own thing mm-hmm. and it's a very cool thing and very easy to get uh to get the speed on uh so really enjoyed that Oberdin, uh 
initially I thought was going to finish very highly on my list. Uh, we mentioned... Seems like it didn't quite land for you, based on what I saw in our, our Discord. Yeah, I got super into the solving of the mystery, and, like, I knew I was lost to this game when I was, like, you know, bust out the notebook and, like, was reconstructing timelines and who is where during a critical scene. That stuff was really great. Uh, once the pieces begin to fall into place, you begin solving the mystery very, very quickly, and there is less to that story overall than initially it appears, like what you get is a very rough outline of what happened in this, uh, in this like pulp uh, nautical adventure. And there's no real, like there's some information they keep secret from you. And I kept expecting that would be like a whole new thing that makes all this resonate a lot more. It really doesn't. It really didn't land uh, that much for me at all. And the other part that like did kind of bother me is, Dude, I spent a lot of time part of that game, a lot of that game, like brute forcing solutions to its solution to its puzzles, uh, by just like put a couple characters that I was roughly confident about how they died and when, and then I would just start guessing different Chinese dudes. Um, like that was the thing is like the Chinese and like South Asian characters in this game aren't really characters; they're just like hands on the ship. And they're just props. Yeah. And their story kind of goes untold. And it kind of really drove it home for me when, like, I'm just basically process of elimination, like, just trying different combos with these characters. Until you get the jingle that tells you you got yeah. it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, like, that's always happening around these, like, non white European characters. That didn't yeah. sit great with me. Uh, and you'd say, right. like, maybe that's, maybe that's the point. May or may not be the point. The game doesn't seem to directly comment on it. But it did mean that there's tons of people on this boat. There's only so many characters, fewer than initially appears. And that ended up like still a great experience. Didn't yeah. end up finishing particularly high on my list. Yeah, I think the last one I would say just very quickly is Dead Cells, which, uh, you know, if you want to know how I feel about that game, go watch those streams that I did for a yeah. week. And then the last stream that I did um, where Austin um, Shit the uh, bed, and Natalie basically. jumped in. Uh, yes. Um, but I don't. I, I, there's not a game on this list where I responded as the word visceral has been uh, destroyed, but I viscerally responded to the mechanical nature of that game in a way that I did not to any other game on on this list. Like it uh, was extremely my shit in the world of Spelunkies and Dark Souls, and that I just ah yeah. Every time I played that game, I was just going fuck 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 in a way that. Um, the way it was built was just so deeply satisfying to play. Like there are all sorts of games on this list where it's like, oh, the world, the characters and what it's trying to do. And it's like, nah, like this game just felt so goddamn good to beat the shit out of things. Um, and that, that is 100% what I resonated with. <laughs> all right. Um, that will do it for this podcast. Uh, and that will do it for, I think just about all the game of the year stuff uh podcast stuff that that waypoint is doing we saw some other podcasts coming uh but i think that is basically us done and certainly us done for the week we are we are finally done mm-hmm. with this podcasting marathon we've been doing for uh for almost two weeks now uh so 
uh, thank you for sticking with us this year. Thanks for um, listening to us, and hopefully uh, you've enjoyed us more than you've loathed us. Uh, apologies for our <laughs> bad takes. Uh, our thanks to Too Mellow uh, for the music we've been using throughout this uh, game, game of the Year stuff. Uh, you can find all that uh, Too Mellow makes at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. Uh, you can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. I'm Rob Zachney, and you can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Klopik. All right. Uh, so that concludes uh, this Waypoint one-on-one. Hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to me and Patrick work through our, our game feelings. We will see you in 2019, and we hope you'll join us again. Uh, but until then, Raiders sign Nate Peterman. Bear down. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.